Theodore Roosevelt is attributed to having said, comparison is the thief of joy. That was long before the internet, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. And all that he had to compare himself to were other people and other things that he saw or he read about through long, drawn-out mail. He couldn't reach into his front right pocket, pull out a smartphone, and compare himself to everyone and everything being produced on the internet. More recently, Michael Ray, a professor at Stanford, a professor of marketing, ironically, at Stanford, said, comparison is the primary sin of the modern life. Comparison is the primary sin of the modern life. Maybe some of you here have, have risen above the, the primary sin of the modern life, and maybe you don't struggle with comparison. That's not true for me. Here's how comparison works in my life. I, I drive home today, after church into my neighborhood, and I see my neighbor's lawns. Most of them are dead and brown, but I've got one who's perfectly green. He's a buddy of mine. He has kids the same age as my kids. Our kids play in the same little league, and I'm just like, why can't I keep up with him? And he just crushes it with his lawn and with his house, and I'm like, I'm always falling behind this guy. I can't keep up. Thankfully, the other neighbors are all just like me. Their lawns are all dead, and so I'll compare myself to them rather than to this other guy. I'll, I'll hop on social media, and I'll scroll social media, and I'll see people posting their vacations, and their food, and their drinks, and their, their hobbies, and I think, how do they have time for that? How do they have money for that? Why, why couldn't my vacation have been so as long as theirs? How did they get that much time off? How were they able to travel to that place? How do they have the money for that? How do they have the time and the capacity for that? I'll see this church posting that thing. And so that's like personal life, right? And then in my professional pastoral life, I have some comparison, right? It's like, oh, this church is growing by that much. Oh, this church is doing that outreach. Oh, this church is doing that thing. Oh, this pastor was published in this way. This pastor has a podcast that is going like that. This post got that many likes. I don't know if any of you struggle with that. Yours are probably different because you have a different profession and you live in a different neighborhood or apartment building than me. But we have this internal pressure of comparison and it's been highlighted by social media it's been highlighted i love how michael ray this professor says the primary sin of the modern life there's something innate in human beings that we've always been comparing ourselves for good or bad right well it's always bad right either we compare ourselves to others to elevate our sense of pride right at least i'm not that bad at least my grass isn't that dead a little bit of puffing up or we compare to some or someone better than us and like I'll never measure up I can't quite do it I can't quite attain that and so there's something innate in the human soul but it's highlighted in our current culture it's the primary sin of the modern life and our text today deals with this for us praise God amen the Bible is not some old, antiquated out of date book that doesn't have purpose and meaning for us this text uniquely addresses our issues of comparison. And comparison doesn't only happen outside the church. Comparison often happens inside the church, right? Some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I wish I could preach. I think I could preach better. Maybe you could. Someday, maybe you'll have the chance to. You walk in the building and think like, oh, I don't know what gifts I have to offer. I don't know what, I, what service I have to give. Or why am I giving so much and other people are giving so little? I feel tapped out and burnt out. And some people just come in, grab their coffee, sit down, and I'm the one making coffee every single week, right? 
And so comparison and judgment and frustration, this stirs in us. And here, God, in this text, through the Apostle Paul instructing the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, is dealing with a very similar issue, this comparison of gifts. And so today we're going to look at this. Look at verse 1. Paul starts here, and again, throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, throughout this letter, there's different things that Paul's addressing, right? We've been in this book for months, and right now he's turning his his attention towards spiritual gifts being worked out in the body. And, and he wants to help the church understand how each individual member complements other individual members so that we could make a whole functioning body, a fun and functional family, rather than a dysfunctional and in competition with one another disintegrating family. That's his aim, that's his goal here. And he starts by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. And so we're going to walk through this text and just consider what Paul has to teach us about spiritual gifts. We're going to have a couple different bullet points as we go through. The first one that we need to note is that spiritual gifts are different than natural gifts. Look at how Paul starts this section. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. That word spiritual there, it, it, it comes from the Greek word pneuma. It means Holy Spirit, God-breathed, God-infused. It's different than a natural gift. He says, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, because if we're uninformed about spiritual gifts, that's when false practice, bad practice, harmful practice, that's when more division comes around this area rather than unity and the building up of the body. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And remember, this church, there were a lot of new believers coming to faith in Jesus Christ and joining this community. Many of them worshipped pagan gods. They, they were pagans. They worshipped idol gods at idol temples in the city of Corinth. And they were led astray by these mute idols, these, these, these figures made with human hands that represented false gods that had no real power. They, they were not a source of life given from Yahweh, the one true God. And he says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so here's a marker in this early church for if somebody is filled with the Spirit of God and has become a follower of Jesus and has a spiritual gift, it's that they profess Jesus is Lord. See, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that our spiritual gifts are different from our natural gifts in that our spiritual gifts are all focused on, they're all centered around helping us to proclaim Jesus is Lord. And you can only proclaim Jesus is Lord by the Spirit of God, giving you life, giving you faith, a true proclamation, a real declaration that Jesus is Lord. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And these spiritual gifts, even as Paul starts it here, now concerning spiritual gifts. We live in a culture in a day and age where there's a ton of talk about our gifts and our personalities, right? There's a hundred different personality assessments and gift assessments out there. I love these things. I'm actually a sucker for them. I love them all. I think they're fascinating. But it's important for us to be reminded that spiritual gifts are different from natural gifts. Now, there may be some overlap, and God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, may use your natural gifts in a supernatural way. But spiritual gifts are different than natural gifts in that they're, they're, they're given to us by God. See, natural gifts, they, they relate to our nature, right? 
our, our, our inheritance, our DNA, our makeup, our genes, and also our nurture, the way that we're formed, the way that we're shaped by the community that we grow up in. Grow up in. But spiritual gifts, they're given by God. It's a, it's a charismatic gift, that word gift in verse 1 and in verse 4, where Paul says now concerning spiritual gifts, this pneuma gift, this gift from the Spirit, gifts there, it comes from the word charisma, which is this, this undeserved gift from God. Often it's paired with the word grace, undeserved merit, undeserved favor. And then in verse 4, he says, now there are a variety of gifts, a variety of charisma, a variety of, of unfavored gifting from God towards his people for his purposes. And so keep in mind that, that spiritual gifts are different than natural gifts. And again, there may be some overlap, but there may not be. It may be entirely different. One example, my wife, Brittany, she has 100 natural gifts that she uses for the kingdom of God. She's just good at a lot of things. And she cares about the kingdom of God, so she uses all of her natural gifts for the kingdom of God. But I think she has a spiritual gift, a supernatural gift of faith. When we had our first child, Avery, and she was nine months old, we moved from the suburbs, from two good-paying jobs, and a home that we had bought not long before that, into the city to plant a church where we had no jobs and no money and no place to live. Now, if you know anything about a young mother with a nine-month-old, that's not a natural thing to do. And, and that definitely is not Brittany's natural MO. She's, see, me by nature, I'm more of a risk taker. I'm an adventurer. So some people think, oh, you must have the gift of faith. I actually don't think I have the gift of faith. I think I have the personality of adventure and risk. So for me to move into the city and quit jobs and just figure it out and live in an apartment and clean toilets and work at a coffee shop and do anything to have a new adventure, a new experience, awesome, sounds great, sign me up. Not a spiritual gift, that's just the way that I'm wired. But Brittany, who, who likes stability, who likes comfort, who likes to know where a paycheck's going to come from, who likes to know how she's going to take care of her nine-month-old daughter... For her to be willing to move into that setting and have an incredible attitude about it, that's a spiritual gift. That, that's how you can maybe start to see the difference of spiritual gifting. There, there's an example here. I'm not going to share names, but there's two preachers who I've listened to quite extensively. One is an incredible communicator. Like, spot on, all of his illustrations, all of his, all of his like, changing topics and moving from point to point... He never says, um, everything is perfect, everything is crisp, everything is just gold. And I rarely walk away from his sermons feeling stirred with a greater affection for Jesus. I'm like, eh, that was a good talk. Nothing against him. Maybe the Holy Spirit uses his talks in other people. And then there's another pastor that I listen to quite a bit who's a terrible public communicator. He says, um, and uh, all the time. He loses where he's at. He forgets what he's talking about. He rabbit trails all over the place. And every time I listen to one of his sermons, my heart is stirred with a greater affection for Jesus Christ. I want to profess Jesus as Lord. That, that's a difference between a natural gift and a spiritual gift. The Spirit is coming through to put Jesus at the center so that people would profess Jesus is Lord. Natural gifts, they can be learned, they can be developed, they can be, they can be um, yeah, they can just be learned and developed, or they can even be earned, right? Like you can put in some work and grow in a natural gift, but spiritual gifts, they're simply given by God, given to help us profess 
Jesus as Lord. They're a, they're a gift, as it says in verse 1 and 2, a supernatural gifting from God. That relates to our second point here is that they are dependent on God's grace, not human effort. This is really good for you to know and to keep in mind because in a lot of churches and in some Christian circles, there can be some abuse of spiritual gifts in trying to get people to earn certain spiritual gifts or, or learn them or attain them by practice. But what the Bible is teaching us here is that spiritual gifts, they're dependent on God's grace, not human effort. You don't get spiritual gifts because you did your devotions right. You don't get spiritual gifts because you went to the right church, listened to the right sermons, believed the right theology, did the right practice. Spiritual gifts are dependent on God's grace. Again, verse 1, gifts. It's a gift. When you give a good gift for a birthday or at Christmas, it's not because somebody earned that gift. It's a show of love. Here's something that I want you to have because it will bring you joy, and it will bring joy to your life and to your community. This is how God gives his gifts. So now there are a variety of gifts. These things are given by God. Look at verse 11. He says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So a church is a community of people that has needs. Everybody has a need here. And everybody has something to offer here. And God apportions the spiritual gifts to communities based off of his grace and what the needs are and what it takes to meet those needs, not because we want a certain gift. We, we don't get God's gifts because we think, oh, that looks really fun or that looks really awesome or that would get me a lot of praise or acclaim with people or that's something that I really want to do. God gives his gifts, as it says in verse 11, to each one individually as he wills. We're a community made up of individuals with different giftings for the glory of God, the good of the church, and the advancement of the gospel. And keep in mind, you cannot earn God's gifts, their gift. That helps to kill pride when we start to discover our gifts, and we're going to talk a little bit about gift discovery in a little bit. But it helps to, to kill our pride, to keep in mind, I didn't earn this. I don't deserve this. I didn't develop this. God gifted this to me for his glory, the good of other people in the advancement of his gospel, not for my own good, not for my own platforming, not for my own praise and approval. You can't learn them or earn them. God's gifts come to us as a gift. And again, keep this in mind because there's certain church movements where certain gifts are emphasized over others. I think there's a certain denomination where tongues is really emphasized. And tongues is a gift listed here in the book. We're not going to do a deep dive on all the individual gifts today, but tongues is a gift given to the people of God for the glory of God. There's, a, there's certain movements that really emphasize that one gift and other gifts get neglected. There's certain movements that really emphasize the gift of teaching and preaching. In fact, I was talking with a guy recently who was a part of a church here in our city, and he said the teaching and preaching gift was so emphasized there that all the other gifts suffered because everybody thought that spiritual maturity was to be able to teach and preach. And it just caused the body to suffer. So if tongues is emphasized, or if preaching is emphasized, or if miracles are emphasized, or like in the contemporary church, oftentimes the worship experience is really emphasized, and you end up becoming lopsided, right? Like top-heavy, and you can topple over if we're not careful. 
They're dependent on God's grace, not human effort. Thirdly, they are distributed by God. Um, they are distributed by the Godhead to all Christians. Look at verses 4 through 7 and verse 11. Paul says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Jump down to verse 11 again. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God is the one who distributes the gift, right? They're dependent on his grace. He's the one who doles out the gifts. And it's interesting. I love that Paul here brings in this Trinitarian idea. Even in verse 4, 5, and 6, he says, there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit third member of the Trinity, and there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. They refer to Jesus as their Lord, their Master. So here he's appealing to Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, and there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together to distribute the gifts to the body, and they're given to all Christians. That's important to note because some of you feel like you don't have anything to offer. You feel like your gift is, is, is not that important or not that needed or not that meaningful or maybe you even doubt that you have a gift. I'm not going to be able to help you discover and find your gift today, but we are going to talk about that in just a minute. But what you need to note here, look at verse 6. The same God who empowers them all in everyone. Every follower of Jesus is given a spiritual gift, verse 7, for the common good. Not for, the, not for the platforming or elevation of the self, but for the common good of the church. In verse 11, again, he says, he who apportions to each one, each one, every single person, has a spiritual gift to offer to the community of God. If you think you don't have a gift, that's a lie. I'm going to talk about how you can discover that in a little bit. Some of you think you have all the gifts. That's also a lie. <laughs> Be careful of that one. And maybe you wouldn't think that you have all the gifts, but you do all the things because nobody, seems, nobody else seems to be doing all the things. You might have the gift of service and helps, but you might have to say no sometimes because you're going to burn yourself out and other people aren't going to discover their gifts if you're doing too much. We'll talk about this as we go. Next bullet point here is that they are, the gifts are diverse in expression and unifying in function. Diverse in expression and unifying in function. Look at verse 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's why spiritual gifts exist. Spiritual gifts do not... And this happens so often in American churches and probably global churches too, where, where, where the gifts start working together and they end up platforming one leader, and this one leader has a huge national or global following, and that leader, he or she may be using the gifts in a local context to expand their own persona or public appeal. That's not what the gifts are for. What does it say? That they're given for the common good of a local embodied community. The gifts work themselves out in a church family, people doing life together, people rubbing shoulders together, people walking with one another. 
and they're diverse in their expression, right? But unifying in their function. And the reason I have on this bullet point, verses 7 of chapter 12, we're in chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14, the end of it, verse 40, is because chapter 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts coming together. Next week, we're going to talk about love, chapter 13. Paul makes the point that love is greater than all the gifts, that all the gifts actually ought to build us up in love. If you remember back in chapter 8, he said knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And, and so if you're a knowledge person, a discernment person, you need to be careful that you're not using your knowledge, your discernment to tear other people down, but that you are in community, in love, building the church up. Regardless of the spiritual gift that you have, regardless of the spiritual gift that is most prevalent in any community, they all work together to build the church up in love, to, to function in unity. If spiritual gifts are operating in such a way where there is disunity in the church, that's not God's intent. That's not what Paul is getting after here. He's saying these all work together for the common good. And so he spends chapters 12, 13, and 14 talking about how to work these out. He's going to get into talking about prophecy and tongues and, and how this is actually done in the corporate church gathering so that it builds towards our unity rather than our division. And keep in mind they're diverse in expression, right? We all have gifts to offer. We all have different gifts to offer. And it's together that these are worked out, that we find health. If a gift is tearing a church apart, it's not a spiritual gift. Or it's a spiritual gift that's being abused because sinful motivation. If a, if a gift is building the church up in love and unity, then it is a gift. So as you think about what, what, might, what might my gift be if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, or maybe there's a couple, and again, it might be some overlap with your personality or it might be completely different than your personality. And it takes time and it takes community to figure it out. The best way to find your spiritual gift is not to take an assessment, although there are some fine assessments out there to take that'll help you maybe discover your spiritual gift. The best way to discover your spiritual gift is to live in community with other people. And then when other people start saying, you're really good at that. When you do that, it, it, it makes me love Jesus more. It makes me want to follow Jesus more. You inspire my faith. You grow my faith. You challenge my faith. You encourage me in my faith when you do these things or when I see you doing those things. That's probably a sign that you have a spiritual gift. And it takes being in messy relationships where we hurt one another, where we get things wrong, where we compare against each other, and then over time we learn to complement each other with our gifting. They're diverse in their expression. The, the New Testament has 23 gifts. Depends on which, uh, oh, you jumped. So Grant Larson, he's our gift this morning. Um, Jeff, if you could go to that next slide with all the different gifts. There we go. So this is my best working list of the gifts that are listed in the New Testament. Different authors, different theologians, different pastors have little nuanced gifts. There's some overlap. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has like 11 of them listed, and then Romans chapter 12 has a few more listed, and then Ephesians 4 has a few listed. These are the 23 that I came up with, but different people have different lists. They're all fairly similar, but these are the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament, right? And so maybe you find yourself on there. Maybe, maybe you see one of those words and you're like, yes, that one's me. Celibacy, sign me up. It's a spiritual gift. We read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Or, or giving, 
Sign me up. I love giving my time and money and stuff away to other people. Mercy, I love helping. Prayer, intercession, I just love praying for people who are hurting. Helping, you're the ones doing everything. You're, you're the ones who this morning, there was somebody in our church who I think has the gift of help slash service, who that it was not part of their role at all this morning, but because somebody had mentioned to them that there's some, some steps back there that had some old worn-off tape and they were concerned about people tripping on those steps back there, this person this morning was peeling off the old tape and putting fresh tape down. Right? You would never catch me doing that. I hate that stuff. <laughs> now, spiritual gifts, like, we got to be careful too, right? Even as I say that, we need to be willing to serve, right? All of us are called to serve. Sometimes following Jesus and loving other people means doing things that you're not good at, doing things that you don't necessarily want to do, but for the common good of the body, you do it. But your spiritual gifts are what God has uniquely given you that you ought to be operating in more and more. And it's amazing when the body works together that this morning there was somebody who I think has the, gifts of, the gift of help and service putting that tape down so that I could focus on preaching and not be worried about putting that tape down on the stairs, right? That's the body working together. There's people up right now teaching kids the gospel. Some of you are so glad you're not in that room, right? And that's the body. You don't have to be in that room. Some of you made the coffee this morning, and it brought you joy. Others of you, if you think about your church experience of showing up early and making coffee, you're like, I'll never go to church again. And there's, there's something else that you're gifted in that God has given you, and I don't know what it is. It might be on this list. It might not be on this list. One of the keys that I want to point out here and remind us of is verse 4. Look at verse 4. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts. So while this is a list of 23 that are specifically stated in the New Testament, I happen to think when Paul says that there are a variety of gifts, a variety of services, a variety of activities, I do not think that this list of 23 is exhaustive. They're like, these are all the spiritual gifts, and if you don't have one of these, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I, I think there's other gifts that aren't listed. These are the ones that Paul mentions in the New Testament. And they're diverse, right? gloriously diverse. We need to be careful because this diversity can cause a lot of friction and tension. The people who really value leadership, you get frustrated if things aren't led well. The people who really value administration, you get really frustrated if there's not good administration. The people who value evangelism and are gifted in that, you don't care about administration. You're like, let's get out on the streets and tell people about Jesus and stop worrying about spreadsheets. But where do we go without spreadsheets? I don't know. I hate spreadsheets. But those of you who love them, we need them. Somebody told me that we need them, and I believe them. <laughs> it, it, and Right? In, in tongues, those who care about like that, and we'll talk about tongues another time. We're actually going to dive deeper on this topic this fall. The whole month of October, we're going to be talking about the theme of authenticity in Scripture and what it means to be the authentically sanctified version of us, and this gift stuff is going to come into that. Because we each need to discover who God has created us to be, both in our nature, in our nurture, right, our natural gifts, but then also, what is my spiritual gift? What does God have in you for this community, for God's glory, the good of this community, and the advancement of the gospel? I think far too many of us have spent a lot of our life not really knowing or not really exercising our spiritual gift. And some of you are doing it amazingly well. This church is a weird combo of people that I think are just functioning in their gifting 
and people that I think are trying to discover their gifting and not sure what it is. And my prayer is that over the next couple months, God will supernaturally take this passage and make it come alive in us without a ton of administration, right? Although, if you're an administrative type, kind of help us think through how we can, like, matchmake. You've heard of asset mapping before, right? What are the assets that we have? What are the needs that we have? And then let's put them together. Well, there's people in this church who might need to have a prayer for healing. Who in our body might have the gift of healing? There's people here who, who have the gift of tongues, who have the interpretation of tongues. There's people here who have the gift of giving and they need to be shown where they ought to give for the expanse of the gospel. There's people here who have the gift of prayer and I've been praying with some of them on Mondays and it's so life-giving. I don't have the gift of prayer, but I have the gift of sitting in a room where people with the gift of prayer are praying and being encouraged by it. And so there's people who pray and they have this specific gift of prayer and there's people who have a real, I mean, we all have prayer needs, but there's people who are like, I need to be prayed for here and now. And we got to match those up. And so my prayer is that this happens more and more over time as we do this together, which leads to the fifth point, that our spiritual gifts are discovered and developed in a church community. Again, all of chapters 12, I mean, and, and I hope you caught it when I read it. Go back and read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't have time to kind of key in on every verse here this morning. I wish I did, but there, there's this idea here in chapter 12, chapters 13, chapters 14, that these gifts are worked out in the, in the church community. It's not just an online assessment that you take, and then you're like, this is my gift, and then where do you exercise your gift? You don't know. It's, it's discovered among the brothers and sisters that you do life with, and it's developed in a embodied community. See, one of the things that we need to be careful with about Christianity in our day and age is that you can listen to a podcast here, you can listen to a sermon there, you can listen to a blog here, you can get your worship experience there, you can listen to music here. You can, we, we, can kinda, we can divide our faith out into all these different compartments and neglect and forget the embodied community. But it's in the embodied community that you discover your gifts, that your gifts bless other people, and that your gifts are developed and grown and used. Everybody is needy and everybody is needed. And the only way to actually taste and see that that is good and that the Lord is good is to discover how needy you are and have people that you do life with meeting your needs. And then to discover how needy other people are and then to find the joy of helping to meet their needs. We do this together all through this text. As I love what Paul here says. He, he points out like these lesser seen parts of the body, right? Verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member but of many, right? Taking this body analogy. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong. Well, life is a lot easier. You function better with a foot. And so the foot can't be bemoaning, Well, I'm not a hand. The, the hand gets to do more, right? Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but... Maybe the foot wants to be a hand because it's like, well, the hand gets to be closer to the steak as it goes into the mouth. Or, or the salad. I've got a vegetarian staring at me right now. The salad, right? The hand, the hand gets to do more fun things than the foot. The foot has to take on all the weight of the person. The hand doesn't have to do that. I, I want to be a hand. And so he uses this analogy that you, you can't do life without both. What if the eye says, I wish I were an ear? The ear says, I wish I was an eye. 
These gifts are diverse on purpose, and they're expressed in diverse ways, all for the unifying function of the body, and then they're discovered and they're grown in community. This is what God wants for us. I love at the end, near the end of the chapter here, he says, picking it up in the middle of verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Church family, the, the American church right now is very divided. I don't know if you've paid much attention to that. But God wants division in his body, and we can't control like the national church scene or what other churches are doing, but we can start here at home. That, that this local church, part community church, would be a functioning body with the different gifts working in unison. Look at verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God, and I'm not going to go into verse 28. We'll get more into those specific giftings later on. That's the essence. That's the goal is that God is building together a functional family. All the different parts, all the different gifts working together for the glory of God, the good of a local church, and the expanse of the gospel around the world, right? So there is this very localized expression to these gifts. And then there's also this expanse thing where it moves us out, but it has to start at home. Lastly, as we close down this morning, the last point is that the spiritual gifts are a humble reminder that we are not Jesus, but collectively we, we become more like him. Jesus had all the spiritual gifts. You don't. I don't. And so, as we often say at Park Community Church here, Jesus is our example of how to live, right? So, so as you read the Gospels, you see how Jesus interacted with people. You see how Jesus used the spiritual gifts, and you want to imitate him in an area that you're drawn to Jesus. Maybe you're drawn to Jesus' teaching and you want to teach like Jesus. Maybe you're drawn to Jesus' compassion and you want to love the outsider like Jesus. Maybe you're drawn to Jesus' like confrontation of the Pharisees and you want to confront Pharisees like Jesus. Read the Gospels and observe how Jesus utilized the spiritual gifts and imitate him. But be humbled. You're not him. And you don't have all the gifts. But there's people sitting in your pew. There's people going to your community group. There's people in this building right now teaching your children or, or cleaning up the coffee who have spiritual gifts that you don't have. And together we become more like Jesus. Right? We're the body. The body of Christ. We're interdependent on one another and we need each other. And so this morning, as we transition to communion, I want you to be reminded that together we make up the body of Christ. That when Jesus sat with his, the, his disciples the night before he was crucified, and he broke bread, right? Dividing up bread, giving it to all of his disciples. It was one loaf that he distributed to them as a reminder that they are, they are taking in his flesh, metaphorically, right? He said, this is my body given for you. And it was this uniting act, as they all ate from the same loaf, that we have the same Lord and Master living within us. 
And as they drank from the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And he sent them out as his ambassadors, doing life together, showing the world who Jesus is and what he's like and the ethic of his kingdom as they did life together. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and then the worship team is going to come up and lead us through a song, and I want you to sit where you're at and take communion when you feel led and ready, asking God to reveal to you a spiritual gift if you don't know it, thanking him for his gift, his perfection, who he is, what he's done in your place on your behalf, and then asking him to nourish your soul and to use your gifts for his glory, the good of the church, and the advancement of the gospel. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are perfect righteousness. Lord, that when we fail to utilize our gifts, when we fail to understand our gifts, or when we utilize them improperly for our own advantage and gain, Jesus, you never did that. As Johanna read this morning from the book of Philippians, you humbled yourself by coming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so, Jesus, we come to you this morning being reminded that we need to be nourished by you. And Lord, also, we, we want to be empowered, as this text says, that it is you who empowers all by the same Spirit. And so, as we are reminded of the Gospels, we take communion, I pray that this act would also be a piece of empowering us to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our spheres of influence and relationship. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of the Gospel, we pray in Jesus' name.